church every time that I have the opportunity to be in the pulpit it uh, is a humbling reminder that I'm inadequate and some of you have taken upon yourselves to make sure that I know that I'm inadequate Um, but it's true so um, I butcher the English language let's just put it that way very simply I don't care um, I, I write run-on sentences. Um, I'm do what? Well, that's the point here. So did Paul. So if you know what we've done the last couple of weeks, we've been in Colossians. And Evan, a couple of weeks ago, gave us a great introduction, and then John gave us a great introduction to today's sermon. Um, that's only partially true but because verses three through eight is actually in the greek one sentence home dude just wrote this and kept going um paul wrote and said no i need to say more nope no need to keep going i need to say more nope gonna keep going um and in english your bible depending on what if you have the nasb it is all one sentence um, in the ESV that I have, it's a couple of sentences with some dashes and some probably not correct commas. Um, but depending on your English trend, like we had to try somewhere here, um, it, it, it's kind of tough uh, because Paul. So the next time you see James writing run-on sentences, just realize I'm trying to be like Paul. Um, and know that I already know that I don't handle the English language well, okay? So you're more than welcome to tell me again, and I'm going to say I know, okay? I, I realize that about me. So there's that. Um, so what we're going to do here in just a moment, we're going to read the entire sentence. We're going to read verses 3 through 8. but We're going to focus in on the last part of verse 5 um, down to verse 8. So we'll get to a papyrus. Um, and all that this morning. Um, But before that, I want to make sure that we know a couple of things. Um, The big thing here is what is going on around Colossians. Uh, So, one, this is what we would call a prison epistle, um, meaning that Paul wrote this while he was a prisoner. Um, And most people would say that that is when he was in Rome under house arrest. And so this, along, I bet you some of you could probably name the other prison epistles. Uh, Anybody venture to guess? You let me down. Okay. Um, Ephesians, uh, one of the books that we like to claim. What else? Anybody? Philippians. Philippians, okay. That's a good one. And then the other one's a little Philemon, 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 however you want to say it, uh, I call it Philemon. And so when we get down to the name of Papyrus, um, we're going to realize he's mentioned three times in Scripture, once here in our passage today and once in chapter 4 of Colossians. And then he's also mentioned in Philemon. 
And so here's what is most likely transpiring, what's going on. Um, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Um, people can come and go. Like he's in this house that he has freedoms within the bounds of the home kind of thing. He's able to preach. He's able to write. He's able to teach as long as people are coming in to see him. They're bringing him through, making sure that he has what he needs. And one of the people that most likely came to see him was Epaphras. And we will see today uh, some more of what Epaphras has been telling Paul about the church at Colossae. Um, And so he is bringing a report from Colossae to Paul, a place that we do not think that Paul ever got to see. Uh, We do not believe that Paul ever made his way to Colossae, and he didn't get there before this either. And so um, Epaphras is bringing this report to Paul, and eventually we'll see that in Philemon, uh, it says that Epaphras is my fellow prisoner. They ended up putting him under arrest, too, uh, because of what Epaphras was doing. So uh, those books were probably written within a very short amount of time uh, of each other, and they're called the prison epistles just because Paul was in prison during that time. And so uh, know that as background information, that's kind of what's going on. Epaphras has come to Paul. He has sat with him and told him about what has been going on at Colossae and then ultimately gets a chain put on him too. So, um, all right, let's read one sentence of scripture. It is not one sentence in the English um, and it probably is not correct English, but let's read it anyway. We're going to start in verse 3 and read through verse 8 in Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Also, it as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we um, look to your word, as we open it up and, and see um, what, it, what it says, um, but more, God, um, what you are telling us, what, are you, what is your church getting from your word this morning? And uh, Father, um, I realize that uh, this church, this congregation, this local body um, does not need my words. Um, they need yours. And so this morning, um, may you make that clear. May you make that true. May you make that happen today here. May your word go forth. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to answer three questions. Um, First one, what is the gospel? We talk about the gospel a lot. Okay. We have said that word. In fact, it's 
printed in the New Testament uh, about 80 times. The, the word, the gospel, the gospel. And uh, we could simply define it as the good news. I mean, that's what it translates as, good news. But what is the gospel? When we talk about the gospel, a lot of times we don't pause and say what the gospel is. If we, oh, in our connection group, those of you that may be a part of that, you'll probably hear um, a biblical understanding of the good news, a biblical understanding of the gospel is a mark of a healthy church. Like we desire for our members and we desire for the church collectively to understand the gospel. What is the gospel? In fact, um, I'll probably say this a couple of times a day, but I don't think you can have a church without the gospel. It's not a church without the gospel. I mean, somebody might can strike me down later and say that's not true. But without the gospel, I don't think that you have a gathering of a body of believers. You don't, you don't, without the gospel, we don't have a church. You have a gathering of people. Um, and so what is the gospel? And if we went around the room and asked, it would be, I, I would think that many of you would understand um, the truths of the gospel. I think that you would, you would have that on your lips uh, I got to ask uh, a couple of guys this week, you know, before this, I was preparing for this, and I asked them. And uh, and I think it was James, Terrence, answered, and he basically quoted what I'm about to read to you uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read just a little bit of that. But it tells us what the gospel is is but i really really liked how james put this is these are the truths like we're going to read this and these are the facts of the gospel but we know that the gospel is in the context of scripture so what we're about to read is not out of context it's not like we're, we're not drilling down and saying well these four sentences is the gospel so let's Let's start. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And that was all one sentence. So, a bunch of hyphens. and So, look, I'm being like Paul. Um, verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. All right, and here's where he's going to lay out uh, this concise definition, uh, this, this concise, concise look at what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and that He appeared to... Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And that would be Paul. He's lamenting the fact of his the time of his birth, so he didn't get to physically be with the the 12 and the the group of apostles uh, as Jesus was uh, ministering on earth and so uh, 
What we see here is the facts of the gospel. So Paul is actually here emphasizing the resurrection, and he'll go on after that to to talk about the resurrection. But he gives us a very concise look at what the gospel is here in these few verses, um, three, four, five. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Then he was buried and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he saw a bunch of people. Um, that's what this passage says. That's, that's, that's how it's laid out. Um, but I would talk about, like, if we went around and said, what's the gospel? I mean, this is where you would start, right? I mean, you would open up and say, Jesus died for our sins. He came and he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again um, so that we might have life and have life in him and that his righteousness is imputed to us. That's the good news. That That's the gospel. And that's true. Um, it's also in context, and I would like for us flip a couple more times over to the left. Go to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to just start in verse 1 and just read the first six verses of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he's being set apart for this gospel that Paul is saying was promised beforehand um, by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And then verse 3 concerning his son who was the descendant of David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the uh, spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And if I'm not wrong, that is all one sentence as well. And so Paul again is showing us that Scripture uh, has been pointing to Jesus, that, that from the beginning God has had this plan of Christ. Like It was never like this is not the alternative. So the gospel is, was not like, like plan C. The, the gospel of Jesus was not like the audible at the line of scrimmage. It, it was the plan from the beginning. From the time the earth was created, it was the plan. So we see that the gospel is not just the facts that Jesus died and buried and was raised again, uh, but the gospel is that for all time it is shown to us in Scripture that though we were lost— Though we were enemies, we couldn't live up to the law. We were hopeless before God. But the good news, the gospel, is that he would come. That he would come himself. And Jesus would come and he would, yes, he would die. He would be raised again. He would do it for his people. In a way that none of his children would ever be lost. The gospel begins with our separation from God. The gospel, like to, to understand, to know the gospel, you have to understand the separation that we have from God and our sin. 
that's not good news. Like that, that's horrible news. Like that's, like that's, if you understand your separation from God, that's, that's not good. The, the good news, the, the gospel message here is that Christ has died, a once for all sacrifice and sins for his people. So this gospel has been being proclaimed since God created the earth. That that is the gospel. And we can't do it like I could stand up here and talk about the gospel of Christ. I could talk about what Christ has done. I could talk about God's plan and we could see it woven through scripture and, and, and how it is culminated in Christ and it still wouldn't do it justice. Like we could sit and yell from the top of our lungs. We could sweat over it. We could bleed over it. And it still would not do it justice. This morning, this one portion of this sermon is not doing the gospel justice. Like I, I started with, I'm inadequate. The truth is, Christ, the the one who sacrificed himself for me, is far more glorious, far greater than anything that I can use words. I've already told you I'm terrible with the English language. It wouldn't matter if I was if I could sit here and wax eloquently. It would not do it justice. So we will move own from what is the gospel it is this truths that christ has come died for his people and been raised again but it is also the truth that since the earth has been proclaimed since the earth has been created god has been proclaiming that truth he has been doing everything to his glory he has been pointing us all to jesus christ that is good news, that there is a way, and it is Christ. So, what is this gospel doing? Second question. So, what is this gospel doing? So, we see in the end of verse 5, of this you have heard before, and John covered faith, hope, and love last week, and then the end of verse 5, of this you have heard before, the word of the truth, the gospel, which is what we've been talking about. What is the gospel? The word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit, and so bearing fruit and increasing. So this gospel, what is it? What is it doing? It it has it has come into the world. This this truth, this this glorious truth that God has been proclaiming for all of Scripture up until Christ, and now we get to proclaim this glorious truth. It is bearing fruit and increasing. I mean, that's just stating what it says there. And in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Now, this term, bearing fruit, um, is used over 90 times in all of scripture and almost all of them are related to a person's life bearing fruit and i'm about to go i'm going to do my best john mccartney 
impersonation here, and I'm going to read quickly, and you're going to listen quickly. Um, if you are going to take notes, we are not going to turn to all of these, but I'm going to read to you the New Testament quotes of bearing fruit. And if you want to jot down the scripture, be all go about it, but I'm not going to slow down. So <clears throat> get ready. All right, here are the New Testament references to bearing fruit. Matthew 3, 8, bear fruit in keeping repentance, in keeping with repentance. Matthew 3, 10, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 7, 17 through 19, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit, a healthy truth. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew thirteen twenty three. He indeed bears fruit and yields. Matthew four twenty. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Luke three eight. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Luke three nine. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Luke six forty three. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Luke eight fifteen. As for that in the good soul that they they are those hearing the word, hold it fast in the honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Luke thirteen nine. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well good. But if not, you can cut it down. John twelve twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John fifteen two four five and 8. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that he, it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. John fifteen sixteen. You do not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Romans 7, 4, and 5. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And then the last two are both here in this Colossians passage that we've already read in verse 6. Indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. And then in verse 10 that Ron will get to next week, um, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is almost all of those, if not all of those, are discussing a person's life like how we are 
bearing ourselves before the world, what is coming forth from our life. And he's likening us to a tree that or a fruit tree that is bearing fruit. Um, and so not all of these were good. If you listen to some of them, they talked about getting thrown into a fire. Um, some of them were talking about getting pruned and so that you would bear more fruit. Um, it's not that hard to see that bearing fruit um, is something that, that God has used in his scripture to discuss how his people are doing with the gospel. What is the gospel doing in the lives of his people? And I'm not going to dwell here much because uh, it's actually expounded upon in verse 10. Um, so I'm leaving some of that for Ryan uh, next week. But this is pretty big here, right? I mean, so the gospel is not just so, like, it's, it's not just sitting there and we're saying, oh, it's, it's here, it's mine, it's, I, I appreciate it, I'm, I'm glad for it, I'm happy about it. Um, but the gospel is actually at work. Like the, the, the truths of God are not merely intellectual descent, ascent. It is it's not just something that we, uh, we, we get our minds wrapped around, our hearts wrapped around. We, we may even be- believe and, and confess that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and then that's it. The, the gospel is actually at work in his people. The, the gospel is actually at work in the lives of believers. The gospel is increasing, as it see, shows here, in, in the life of this church, in the life of the church at Colossae. Uh, it is bearing fruit in you, and it is increasing in you. It is, it is coming forth from you. Uh, it obviously had... Um, at one time, there was no church. There was no gospel presence at Colossae. And most likely, we'll see that Epaphras was the one who proclaimed the gospel to them first. Like He, he most likely is the person that, that started the gospel presence in Colossae. We don't have factual evidence that there may have been others, but... He was a big part of that. He was bringing what had happened in Colossae. He was bringing back to Paul and announcing these things. And Paul uh, was thanking God for the gospel presence at the church at Colossae. This whole sentence, this whole paragraph, um, these these two paragraphs together, um, are all about him thanking God praying for the church at Colossae that, that, the, that God that had saved Paul, that had struck him down on the Damascus Road, is the same God that the gospel truth was being proclaimed about in Colossae. Here we see the gospel. What is the gospel doing? It is growing. It is bearing fruit. It is increasing. And so how? How is that gospel increasing? Staying in verse 6. So this gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world 
It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So how, like what does it mean for there to be increase? What does it mean for there to be growth? What does it mean for that to happen? The gospel, what does it mean for the gospel to be increasing? It means that people are hearing and understanding it. It it, it means that the church at Colossae has been seeing increase since they heard and understood this grace, this truth that they had, this grace of God. They have heard and they have understood. If you would, turn back to Romans chapter 10. We're going to take some of it in two different sections here, but Romans ten six through 13 says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? So this righteousness that was started in verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, and then verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will, be, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we see that this hearing and understanding what is it producing? What is, what, how is it increasing? And at least four times here, um, verse 8, there is, it talks about the mouth. So they're profess, confessing with their mouth and believing in their heart. And the same in, in verse 9, because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. In verse 10, for with the heart one believes and with the mouth one confesses. And then 11 and 12 together, it's the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So there's the belief. And then in verse 12, <coughs> there's no distinction between you the same Lord as Lord ought bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So there, there's this profession who those that are calling out to God, proclaiming him as Lord. There is this confessing with the mouth and believing in your heart believing in your heart confessing with your mouth and that is the increase that is that is the method that is being used to proclaim the gospel for the increase of the gospel and that's the mechanics of this but what about the practical outworking well he didn't leave us out if we'll do this in verse 14 through 17 we'll read 14 through 17 How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Believe, hear, preach, sent. Verses 14 and 15, we... How will they believe? How will they hear? Who's going to preach? Who's going to be sent? These are the method that is being used by God to increase the gospel. Okay? So the church, that's the redeemed people of God. That's most of you in here. Many of you in here. We are the method that God is using. We are to be a sent people. We are to proclaim that which we have been entrusted. We are to be using our our lives, yes, but our mouths to, to open and share this gospel, much like Epaphras has done. said that, you know, Epaphras has probably, by the time the church at Colossae is reading this, Epaphras is probably alongside Paul in house arrest. Epaphras proclaimed the gospel to the church at Colossae, and it started increasing. Church, we are to open our mouths and confess Christ. Just like confession in Romans six, I mean ten, six through thirteen, like we just read. We're to be a sent people, like in ten fifteen in Romans. Proclaim the gospel just as Epaphras has done. And allow the Lord to save people. Seeing hearts believe because they've heard the good news. Because Christ, because of Christ, um, His people will come to know Him as Lord and Savior. That's the message that we have. That that God is still saving people. That the church, just as in Colossae a couple thousand years ago, was seen the fruit and the increase of the gospel, his church is still seeing the fruit and increase of the gospel today. It is bearing fruit in our families. It's bearing fruit in our personal lives, in the relationships that we have with our coworkers, with our children, with our family members. It is bearing fruit in the confines of this gathering. So, the gospel, what it is, what, what, what's it been doing, and ultimately, how 
How has it increased? And it's done this since the time of Colossians was written and is doing it today. The gospel is the central question for the church today. The understanding of the simple truths of Scripture that Jesus has come to sinners and died in their place and rose on the third day to bring salvation to His people. The gospel is bearing fruit by being spread by the church, the redeemed, the sent people of God, confessing the gospel to the world around them just as Epaphras did. Church... um, It's easy to come to this passage and say, much like it did in the second half of verse 5, it says, you have heard this before. There is probably nothing you have heard today for many of you that have sat in church you set for us with us for any amount of time. Like there's there's nothing here that you haven't heard before. But it is because of the gospel that we're even here. It's because of the truths of what, what Christ has done for us. It's because it is bearing fruit in our lives that we have gathered. It is because because the gospel has increased in the world around us that we see the faith of his people it's never a bad thing to be reminded of the gospel but let us not leave here today just tipping our hat to the knowledge of what we've heard before. May that gospel increase in our lives. May it continue to be a part of our lives, the fruit that we bear. May that be the fruit that we are bearing. And may the world around us see it. And may they know this Christ that we all know to be Lord and Savior. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, um, we are humbled that you would come to save your people. God, we're, we're humbled that you would come to a wretch like me. And I, I pray that the, the truths of the gospel would be bearing fruit in my life. That they would take hold and they would increase. Pray for this congregation that the gospel would bear fruit in the lives of your gathered people. And it would increase pray that you would use us as a sent people to share and open our mouths 
those glorious truths of the gospel. And God, may you save your people. May you allow us to see the salvation of your children. God, we we thank you that you've used a papyrus to to share the gospel with the church at Colossae. God, I thank you that that message is still being proclaimed today and that um, that we hear and know of your truths, know of the Christ that has died for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.